Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The 330th edition of the Four Corners Podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that, to be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54 to 53, North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! They're on the way to win it! Worthy five! The Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber front court, Carolina with foul, he takes the timeout, they're out of timeout, technical foul, technical foul on Michigan, they're out of timeout. Front court, Williams on the drive, gets it back out to head, long outside shot, short rebounded, May, it's over, Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels, they are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national gadgum champions. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys once again today. Here to recap, Carolina's 80-76 to loss at home last night to the Clemson Tigers um, as Carolina fell victim to the letdown. Um, and they've now lost two of their last three games with the Duke win sandwiched in between the two losses. And it's a game that if Carolina ultimately does not win an ACC regular season championship, isn't a one seed come selection Sunday, you can look at last night as the biggest reason why. Um, we'll do what we always do. We'll take a look at the box score. You'll hear from Hubert Davis and Armando Baycott um, before we get into thoughts, takeaways, and so much more. But um, we're just going to go ahead and, and dive right into this thing. And for many of you that, that come to this this podcast after a loss and expect to hear me yell, scream, Kick, vent, whatever wow, it is. That, oh, oh, that took a left right there. You know, you haven't heard that in a loss this year. Like, even the Georgia Tech defeat, um, not that I was encouraged, but I was able to to talk about the loss in a way that I thought was was good for Carolina. Um, you're going to get all, all the rage today. Um, because Back what, up right here. What happened last night was um, pathetic. Mm-hmm. It was embarrassing, mm. and frankly, I thought we were over this crap. Um, had Carolina yeah. gotten beaten because Clemson just made more shots and played harder and defended better, which in reality they did, I'd come on here and say, it's a tough one to lose, but you got to give credit to the other team. 
and we're going to give Clemson credit because we knew how important this game was to them. Um, it really solidifies them as a tournament team, barring just some epic collapse down the stretch for them with all the wins they've, they've, they've now uh, achieved so far this season. But they didn't they, – they didn't beat Carolina because they're better than Carolina. They didn't beat Carolina because – Where are, you, where are you going with this? Because if, if it's that they didn't outwork them, yes, they did. They they beat they, they, they beat us because for the first time all year, we didn't give a crap. And that's a real a hard thing to accept because I thought with this group, we didn't have to worry about them showing up. Like I said going into the game, don't think Carolina blows them out. I think this is a game that you grind out and you win because you're better than them. And Lord knows that the under-four timeout, I thought that was going to happen. I thought they were going to find a way to win the last four minutes. You get out of there with a win, and you just move on to Miami. Instead, you you give up a 7 nothing run, the game is over. But you lost the game in the first three minutes. Yes. You give up a 15-2 run out of the gate. Clemson makes their first five shots. We, we, we don't even try to establish Armando Baycott. On the inside, we come out jacking jump shots and, and, and perimeter shots that just weren't in the rhythm or in the flow of the uh, a offense. Concerning trend, by the way, that's becoming more and more present in first half. And, and look, and look, credit Hubert Davis because called a timeout and he had to. I'm I'm anti timeout guy, right? Like I'm gonna stand there and you're gonna play bad. I'm gonna let you play bad. He had to call a timeout because you were running the risk of literally being ran out of the gym. By the first media timeout. I mean, the, the people, by the way, that are complaining that he took too much time to call timeout, when did you want him to call the timeout? Guys, it's stacked up that quickly. Like, you were hoping that at some point it would turn on for Carolina. I mean, look, what are you going to call timeout when it's 9-2? Like, we've seen before. He, he's learned things from Roy. Like, you got to let these guys play through it. But at a certain point, yeah, he had to just say, that's enough. That's enough. We got to stop it right here. And when you make it a nine-point game at halftime, I'm not going to lie to you. I thought Carolina was going to win the game. Uh, I did too, yeah. Because we've we've seen the way that they've responded in second half so far this season. I thought a good talking to at halftime would, would have changed the, the tone of the game, and it did. Carolina came out 12-6 run like you're in the game. And you 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 kept it a one-two possession game the majority of the time. You eventually tie the game at seventy. And I thought when Ingram hit the three to tie the game mm-hmm. after missing some expended uh, after missing uh, a stretch of play, who's in the locker room? I thought Carolina was going to win. And you get the stop. RJ goes, you know, drives the lane, a bounce pass to Baycott. If Baycott corrals the pass, he dunks the ball. Carolina oh, takes a two-point God. lead. And the ball slips through Baycott's hands. Carolina turns it over, and they would give up a 7 nothing run, um, and that would effectively end the game. First home loss of the year, uh, lowest home point total of the year. Clemson gets their second-ever win in Chapel Hill. And, you know, so there's getting through that and being initially upset because trusted this group not to have the letdown factor – when you're the the fifth oldest team in the country and you've got a 25-year-old and you've got a 24-year-old and a 22-year-old, you just think that that's, that's not going to happen. But it did. 
okay, so we just chalk it up as one of those nights. And, um, you know, we, we see it across college basketball. It's what separated – it's what separates UConn from everyone else is UConn has yet to have one of those nights so far this season. Then we get to the post game, And I think we learn more and more every year why coaches and players hate talking to the media. Um, Hubert Davis did not speak with Jones Angel on the Tar Heel Sports Network until it was right about 9.50-ish. I heard Hubert actually went back to the house, took a shower, and came back, actually. So. And, and so you you, uh, you imagine that there was some some honest conversations being had in the locker room. And then you find out why. Not in his interview with the Tar Heel Sports Network, and not even with his interview really when he met with the media, but when Armando Baycott had this to say and when he met with the media after the postgame. Just too casual, uh, practice, we didn't come out how we wanted to. I mean, our practices, we're going full on, all out, and they just haven't been that good these last two days. And shoot-around today, we had a bad shoot-around. And even in warm-up today, we didn't get out there on time. We didn't. We just our approached this whole coming up to this game. just wasn't where it needed to be. We got what we deserved. Um, oh, boy, you're scratching the beard. That's not good. So... <laughs> First off, credit to Armando Baycott, who has really emerged as that vocal leader um, and, and played well last night. Was going to be the reason Carolina won the game 24-13, and 13, even though I had Tar Heel fans once again um, complaining about his performance in, I mean, in, in, just, in the game last just night. Just stupid. Just stupid people. Um, I mean, come on. As, as fans... As fans, we can act the way that we act after the Duke game. We can because we're fans. So we live it. We breathe it. Um, and when we win, we're going to celebrate. I, I said on here I wanted the game to go to Wednesday because I wanted a little bit more time just to soak up the win and enjoy Ooh, the win. They desperately needed it. And that didn't happen. The game was play, the game had you know the game was scheduled for Tuesday. You got to show up and play. Yep. As players, though, and look, I I understand that it's hard because you put so much into that that moment, and as as emotionally draining as it is, I want you to be a college student, and I have no problem with Cormac Ryan going and celebrating on Franklin Street. You only get to do this one time. You may not get to be on Franklin Street ever again with with with, with your classmates. So I'm not mad at the way that. We handled celebrating the Duke win as a fan base, and I had no problem with the team celebrating the Duke win because it was the biggest win of the season. Right, It's the biggest game they've played so far this season. But the challenge was was to turn around in 48 hours and be ready to play again. And you can't be bothered to show up. Well, that's that's on, the biggest concern on, right? on time. Look, I I love I love beating Duke. Yeah, I I I live for beating Duke quite a bit. Yeah, like it quite a bit, honestly. Um, that's not our national championship. It's a regular season game in February. It's that, it's not even the second matchup, by the way, between these two this season. Um, it's 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 not as big as the game was the other night. It's. It shouldn't be the biggest game we have left to play this season. 
The, the second game should mean more. It's, that's what I'm saying. It's not even the biggest game you play against Duke this year, guys. And and I so mean, we, we, we show up for that game. We, we deliver in that moment. We put together the best performance we put together all regular season long. And and I can understand having a bad practice or two after the game. Yes, it, yes, that's it, exactly what I was going to say. I happens. get Monday. I get Monday. You it, struggle a little bit. It happens, but you can't show up on time. You you. There's nothing more disrespectful you can do as a human being than show up late to anything it is in life, work, church, school, whatever it is. There's nothing more disrespectful than being late. You go to school to play basketball. That's what you do now, especially in the climate of current college athletics. You go to that university so you can play basketball for that university, and you can't be on time? That, that to me, is it's concerning. And and I and, yes. and 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 I'll say this and I'll say this right here. I said it on today on the radio. Uh oh. Um. We would lose Saturday because my team would show up in Miami so physically exhausted from how much I would run them. Her Brooks style, yeah. I feel and you. I feel you. The problem is, and I and I don't blame Hubert Davis for this. You can't do that with today's athlete. Oh boy, here because. They will quit. But if this was the good old days and you could coach the way you wanted to coach, I have no doubt in my mind that even Coach Smith wouldn't line them up on the baseline and run them for two and a half hours. They would not touch a basketball until they showed up uh, to for, for the tip at Miami. Shoot around? No. Run around. We're going to run suicides. Everything. Because that's inexcusable. There's a lot of things you can be. One of them is you cannot be late. Because in the real world, if you're late, you get fired. In the real world, if you're if you're late, you get fined. In the real world, if you're late, they don't play. They they, they leave you. Even at home, yeah. they leave you. And I think Huber did that to maybe a guy like Jalen Withers. We don't know who was late. We don't know. Well, see, look, but, I, let's not speculate. Let's not try to throw out names that we think possibly could do it. I will say this. To me, I, I, you can't punish the entire team. Bullcrap. It wasn't, it wasn't their fault that their teammates don't show up. Now, you make an example because, look, Spencer Dalton, who – I mean, is is an outstanding follow on Twitter. He is absolutely phenomenal. Um, he said, quoted quoted the uh, the tweet from Adam Smith, who originally put out these comments from both. By the way, both Armando Baycott and Harrison Ingram said this. So it's not just Armando. People getting mad at Armando. Oh, he's he's a bad teammate throwing guys under the bus. No, that's that's uh, th- that's him showing leadership. I mean, I don't know about you guys, like. I mean, that's kind of what a leader looks like, but especially because here's the thing. You don't think something was said in the locker room? You don't think that the response wasn't quite what Armando wanted to hear, so he probably thought to himself, what's the way to get everybody's attention? We'll say it to the media then. We'll air it out. Um, but Do- Spencer Dalton says, quote, and this is this is a thread. I'll, I'll, read, I'll read some of this uh, off. This is insane to me. During my time on the team, I don't think anyone was late for anything even once. 
It was general practice to show up 30 to 45 minutes before any on-court obligation at the latest. He then goes on to say, actually, one time comes to mind. A teammate was late for a summer morning lift. By the way, so off-season workout. They made him push a weighted sled nonstop all morning. Being late for stuff just doesn't happen. I'm not entirely sure what Roy would have devised for punishment if someone was late for pregame. Then, he, then this was the one that really got me because this makes a lot of sense. And, and I wasn't, look, I wasn't a high school athlete. I tried out for the football team, didn't even, didn't even make the team my senior year. But on. I was on the sidelines as... The, the, the handled the water, all that kind of stuff, and some other responsibilities for them. Can you be so the I pod was, water boy? I was there. Um, I mean, you need it with that, how bad your voice has been at times. Um, so I, I was there for games, and what he says here is basically the same experience that I said. He said, what makes being late for pregame warm-ups even weirder is that the team eats a pregame meal about four hours prior to tip-off and then returns to the Dome. Mostly no one even left after that, and we just hung out in the locker room, lounge, training room, until warm-up started. He brings up a great point. You are always going to eat a pregame meal with each other. So how were you then... How So everybody wasn't there? Somebody left? Like, what What in the world? What, what are we doing here? And... I mean, yeah, that was that was the most concerning thing to me last night. Now, this morning, the thing that concerned me was a tweet from Seth Tremble's mom. Response to the Inside Carolina article about last night, which had the quotes from Armando in it. Says, makes me super sad to read Seth got injured in a lethargic practice. Pissed me off, actually. Now, there's been a little bit of a back and forth because I quoted it and said, this is not good. This could be a major blow to the team chemistry. She said, not at all. It's just a little setback. They will bounce back. Yeah, I don't see how him getting hurt gets has anything to do with chemistry. Like you. No, no. My thing, what I'm saying is this could divide a locker room because if there was a guy that was out there, that was just loafing it in practice, and that was the reason that he got hurt, there will be certain guys on the roster that will say, what the hell, man? But there will be other guys that whoever this player is friends with that'll say, now we're on his side, man. Like, it happens. That's the worry for me because if that actually happened and he got injured because guys were not going 100% in practice, they were just just having a grand old time walking through and that's how he actually got injured that's a pro- that's a huge problem yeah i don't think like, you got to be concerned about the locker room getting divided over him getting hurt i, I feel like injuries happen whether you're having a, a a full speed practice or a shoot around i mean paxton wochick started the game with a headband on cuz he got his his head busted open so i don't think that's the biggest concern and i don't think the chemistry is i don't think the chemistry is like if we're if we're worried about that, then we're back where we were a year ago. 
I look. I don't think it's impossible to think that. That but now we'll learn. We'll learn quickly if that is the case. But and, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. And, and and I refuse to get to to that place because I don't think you do. You don't do what you've done with 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 having those same type of chemistry issues. the the biggest The biggest worry is. I thought we were done. I thought we had moved on and flushed out of our system this not showing up and not giving a crap. And because, look, Carolina's really, really good. Like, this is a really good basketball team. This team can win an ACC championship. This team can make a Final Four. This team can win a national championship. Yeah, the, the thing is, is but last they've night got, they've got to play. That. They've got to play as hard as any team that has a realistic shot of doing those types of things. That's just the reality of the situation. Look at their I said it this morning. Look at the schedule they have coming up. Like every team they play is very similar to Clemson with the fact that they believe they can make the NCAA tournament and what they need is a win over Carolina. That would put them in the conversation. Miami, they they beat Carolina, they're they're in the conversation. And so Virginia Tech, like those types of teams. So what 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 they've got to remember is you got to where you got by playing your butt off. Mm-hmm. Yes, there there's talent here. This is still one of the more talented teams in the conference. It's one of the more talented teams in the country. But guys, you're not you're not the 09 squad. We can't just roll the ball out there and go out there and hang 90 and beat teams by 30. I mean, how many Tar Heel teams, honestly, you look back, how many Tar Heel teams, even the title teams, could roll the ball out there and win? No problem. I mean, Fit, probably 57. I mean, we can't speak for 24. 57, 82, and 09 are probably the only title teams that could literally roll the ball out there and they would beat anybody. And, and so th- I, I think for, for me, that's why I looked at it. And look, I, I'm. This this is a core that you know we've talked about it the last couple of years. They're gonna have as complex a legacy to define, and a lot of it depends on this season. Like you win an ACC regular season title, you go back to the Final Four. It's a lot easier to define who you are and what your legacy is at Carolina. And, and guys, y'all know how I feel about R.J. Davis. You know how I feel about Armando Baycott. He's in the intro, for goodness sakes. This is a part of it. Like, as great as they are, and I'm not saying that they were the issue last night, but of their four years, for the first time in my life, I, I've i watched a team, and I had to worry on most nights, were they going to show up, and were they going to give a crap? And last night brought us back to that point, because from Radford through Duke, I never once questioned if this team cared. I never once questioned. And, look, you got to give them credit because they fought back. They got themselves back into the game. And, you know, if if they would have won, you're still like, you know, we wouldn't have treated it like a loss. It just would have been one of those where, like, you win, you just move on because you're just trying to essentially get through the game um, because it's 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 really really hard mm-hmm. to to get yourself back up because you put you put so much emotion into the Duke game. It, it's just something that you do, and and, and so I don't want to sit here and and hold and and be mad at them for celebrating the win because I want them to celebrate the win. 
But since 1950, the winner of the Duke-UNC game has gone 147-44 and in their next games. But that number is 74-9 and against un- unranked opponents when you're a top-five team. Right. But since 2020, when you toss out Duke ending their season with the COVID win... Um, Canceled. Yes. The winner is just four and four in their next game. Well, four and five. I believe that stat was tweeted during the game. So yeah. Like, so look, it's 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 hard. Now it's become now it's becoming a legitimate thing. But it's yeah. It's what it's it's what is is expected of you as a Carolina basketball player. Um now well, well, really quickly on that stat too, by the way, how many of those teams that have struggled like that in that next how how many of them were teams that we thought were national title good? Like if you are going to prove that, well, I mean, you we think, think it's we think it's possible. But at the same time, if you're going to prove to be that type of team, you've got to step up in these moments. Because the concerning part, right, is that we thought the game that was that you were affected by the Duke game in was Georgia Tech, but apparently you were affected in both games by that. I mean, you got to think like okay, that's the from, thing that's weird. From from 1967 through 1998, you felt pretty good that you had a chance of a team that could win a national championship. Like 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 once Coach Smith got it rolling, but that's what I'm saying. You thought Look you at could those win stats. A title. I'm saying the last the last nine games, the, the like that where they're four and five in that stretch. How many of those teams were national title good? This team is. Yeah, this is the first one we've had since 19 where winning a championship is. Is realistic. It's possible. Um, and look, all th- this doesn't change that. No, no, it does not. What it does is it it reinforces the manner in which they have to play to achieve that. And you just would have thought by game twenty three that message was crystal clear, and it wasn't. You take a look at the box score. Um, now, Carolina shoots 37% from the field, 24 of 65. Clemson shot just 40%. They were 27 of 68. Here was a kicker, though. Carolina, 9 of 27 from, from three. Clemson was 11 of 31. So, you, But you gave up 11 makes. And you, you, you like the 35%, but 11 makes and nine of them between Gerard and P.J. Hall was too much for you to overcome. Carolina, 19 of 25 from the foul line. Um, Clemson was 15 of 20. Just six turnovers for Carolina led to seven Clemson points. Five Clemson turnovers led to just five Carolina points. So, remember, Duke game, defense-generated offense, nowhere to be found last night. Carolina did out-rebound their 13th straight opponent, 43 to 42. How How is that even possible, by the way? 34-31 on the defensive glass, but you get out-rebounded 11-9 on the offensive glass. And you give up 13 second chance points. More damning was all 13 came in the second half. There it is. There's a difference in the ball game. Bench points 12 to seven in favor of Carolina. Uh, points in the paint 28 22 in favor of Carolina. Fast break points seven to two in favor of Carolina. Carolina with 14 assists on their 24 made baskets. Clemson with 14 assists of their 27 made baskets. And Clemson led for 38 minutes and 20 seconds. Well, we've heard. From Armando Baycott, and now let's hear from Hubert Davis, who said we didn't match Clemson's energy. I didn't particularly enjoy or like, um, you know, our practices leading up 
to um, to the game tonight, and um, you know, it's 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 the thing that I that I told them in the huddle um, the first time out in the at the beginning of the game that you know it's just not about X's and O's. There's nothing from a basketball standpoint we can talk about until. Um, the energy and the and, and the effort and the enthusiasm rises, and if that would rise, then things would change, and then we could start talking about basketball. And so, um, in order to win a game like this, um, just didn't play well enough, and you really have to compliment Clemson and the, and and the way that they played. I think, and look, I I saw um, this this kind of going around on on the social medias last night. I think last night is a game where, like, if you grew up with Roy Williams, you really missed him last night, and not for the in-game coaching. Because, um, you know, did Hubert Davis get out coached? Yeah, he got out coached because his team wasn't as prepared as Brad Ronell's team was. But he he still got his kids in a position to to win the game. But you 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 miss Roy Williams because there would have been some some things said publicly that Hubert's just not going to do. And quite frankly, you can't do it in today's climate. Because of the transfer portal, you say the wrong thing, kids are gone. Um, and he has to be mindful. He has to be mindful of that. But I, I mean, I could, I'm not lying to you. I would have loved to hear what Roy Williams would have said after that type of game last night. But Hubert Davis wasn't wrong. And the thing was, was he knew it going in. If you listen to his radio show, he, he had told Jones Angel. I got after them Monday. Was that before or after he took a shot at Jones's vest, by the way? It was during. What a moment. What a moment. Um, and then, you know, you have a bad shoot-around. He got after them there. Yeah. And so, um, was Schubert a little bit reserved last night from a coaching standpoint? Was he the same guy we've seen at different times on the sidelines? No. Because he was that guy in practice, and they didn't respond to it. And, um, you know, the— Slow starts have been an issue offensively where Carolina just hasn't scored, but you've defended. So you've been able to overcome not scoring for six and a half minutes at Pittsburgh, playing to four to four at Boston College to the first media timeout. But the energy and the effort was there defensively to where once you got into the rhythm and the flow of the game offensively, it just, you know, that that went to the wayside and you were able to to beat opponents. And so um, this is just something that um, it's it, it was it was a learning experience. It was a teaching moment, and you'd rather have that teaching moment in February as opposed to March 21st. Move on to the stat of the game. This one's easy: offensive rebounds, second chance points. Nine offensive rebounds for Carolina, twelve second chance points, but they gave up eleven offensive rebounds to Clemson. 13 second chance points and as I said or as I said as we were going through the box score all 13 of them came in the second half. And you talked by the way you said under 4. You thought that they had a chance to win the game because it was tied at 70. Do you remember what base what what started Clemson's late run that allowed them to extend the lead eventually to 8? Offensive rebound by PJ Hall, finish through contact, chance for an end one. Yep. That that was an and at that moment I think we all knew. They got that first basket. They set the tone right there for the final four minutes. Yeah, I mean, look, you, you got you got to give P.J. Hall and Ian Shefflin uh, a ton of credit. 
they were the two best players, I thought, on the court last night. Yes. Um, and that was with Gerard pouring in 21, and Colin Hoggard, if you're listening, I still do believe no one gets more out of their talent than Joe Gerard third. But Hall, and look, we knew he was going to be motivated after the game he had against Carolina back in January to play at a high level. He scores 25, was only 8 of 20 from the field, but was 4 of 10 from 3 mm-hmm. um, and grabbed 9 rebounds. We saw Ian Shefflin be Clemson's best player a month ago, and he gives them 14 and 11, and all mainly because he just out-hustled them, out-fought them, out-positioned them. And um, look, there's you know, the, the stats don't, you know, well, we'll say it, Carolina's a really, really good rebounding team. And you won a rebounding game again last night. Yeah, I mean, they they, they out-rebounded them. But, you know, this was the worst rebounding game we've seen from Harrison Ingram, you know, in this stretch of play. Yeah. And it's it's why we've emphasized UNC rebounding games, not Armando rebounding games. Because Mondo gave you 13 boards. Like, if, if he's giving you 24 and 13, you feel pretty comfortable and confident you're going to win the ball game. Yeah, can, can, we, can we take him off the table here? Like, if anybody is taking a run at him, I, I just, like, if you didn't watch that game last night and thought he built off his performance against Duke, then you're li- you're you're just a ha- somebody that's trying to hate. Like, you are literally, you have some vendetta against Armando Baycott. Like, he was he was perfectly fine last night. Um, I mean, I was talking about this with, with our guy Chris McClain earlier today. Um, if he doesn't play in the first half the way that he played, I mean, what would the score? You you could have been down like Georgia Tech was down to Wake Forest. Like he was your only offense. Nobody else was doing anything, and yet people want to criticize him of all the players that you can criticize for this game. Like, come on, man! What what? Quit quit trying to fit it to whatever agenda you have against certain guys. Him, Hubert. I, I mean, there's all there's these guys that I just don't understand how people are taking runs at. Guys that I, I don't think are anywhere close to the top in terms of the blame for the loss last night. Yeah, and um, it's just something that uh, you've got to rebound from, you got to bounce back from. But I think I think Armando's season, his second season, started with the way he played against Duke, and he showed up again last night. It does, and it's not the best look in the world when, as a guy that's never won an ACC regular season championship. After the Duke win, you say the ACC runs through me, then you lose your very next game at home to Clemson. But albeit that loss did not come at the expense, at the effort of Armando Baycott. Well, we've spent a good bit of amount of time talking about the loss so far. Coming up next, more thoughts, more takeaways from Carolina's defeat at Clemson. But first, we got to get you a word from one of our partners. Hey there, Josh here for the Autograph Fandom app. Want to get rewarded for listening to our show? The team at Autograph, co-founded by Tom Brady, is redefining the fan experience by letting users earn points for the acts of fandom they take every day, like listening to this show. The Autograph Fandom app gives you access to your favorite UNC content in one place and offers rewards like tickets, exclusive merchandise, and much more. You're already listening to our show, but now you can earn points and get rewarded for it. Head over to the Apple App Store and search for Autograph Fandom Rewarded and download it today for free using the referral code HEELTOUGH. Link and code are also in our podcast description. Make sure you guys head over to Autograph, use that that promo code HEELTOUGH, 
and just take full advantage of everything those guys have to offer you. Um, you know, get get rewarded for being a fan. It's 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 a pretty neat thing. We're happy to be a part of it. So make sure you get over there. Use that use that referral code, um, and and help us help you help them. Um, you know, we we've talked about the rebounding. We've talked about the the lack of energy to start the game. Um, the shot selection of R.J. Davis and Cormac Ryan has to be called into question. Um, Cormac last night, two points, one of ten from the field, oh of six from three in his 30 minutes. He's he's becoming a liability offensively because he's getting really, really good looks. This isn't a guy that is 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 taking bad shots or um or is playing outside of who he is as a player because he's not doing that. He's taking shots that we watched him for three years at Notre Dame make consistently. But at some point, you've got to realize that your shot isn't there, you been and you can impact the games in other ways. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, as as a guy that played basketball and his reputation was a shooter, oh, you're gonna go. you're you know shoot or shoot, and the only way to get out of a slump is to shoot yourself out of a slump. But that doesn't mean keep chucking up threes. I I really hoped and thought when he he punt fake for that one three, took three dribbles and took a twelve footer and made it, that would get him going. And it didn't. This was a guy that yes is a perimeter guy first, but up in you know the first eight nine games of conference play, when he was missing perimeter shots, would put the ball on the floor, get to the hole, and either draw fouls or make layups. And now he's not doing either of those. Um, the amount of layups that 25-year-old has bricked is criminal. Is criminal. But more importantly, like get to the foul line. That's the best way to get back in rhythm as a sh- uh, back in rhythm as a shooter because you're gonna see the ball go through the basket. And the fact of the matter is, is we can't get where we want to go with him shooting less than 30% from behind the three-point line. That's just the reality of the situation. And so something's got to change. There's got to be – look at it. Wayne Ellington had a pretty historic shooting slump to start the 2008-2009 season. He cut it on, and Carolina would go on to win a national championship. So we've seen guys like him before have historically bad starts and cut it on when it starts – or when the games start to to matter the most. And then then as for RJ – and it's really hard to sit here and be critical because I think him and Armando were maybe the two guys as much as anybody that showed up ready to play last night and played as hard as he could for 38 minutes. But he got 22 points on 22 shots and was 5 of 12 from 3 and was even 3 of 5 from the foul line. I think I think the it's starting to get to him being the primary guy night in, night out. And it's a hard thing to adjust to because for your first three years, you weren't that guy. And you're being defended different. Um, you're being guarded you know, much harder, much more intense. You're getting a lot of contact that isn't getting called and it's not going your way. And whether that's fair or not, it's not for me and us to decide. I'll always want my kids to play tougher, play harder, and fight through the contact. But the shot selection last night, 
in the last three games, he's 23 of 65 in his last three or four games. Mm. Now he's still shooting shooting 43% from three. And he was 5 of 12 last night. But the... The twelve is probably twelve too many. Yeah, what, what that twelve too many? And, it's a little too much. Yeah, and, yeah. and you know, I I I love that floater. I, I do. It is one of the most inefficient shots in basketball, though. Well, the other thing. And so is, when you're not making it, quit shooting it. Well, the other thing is, and we we saw it. I pointed it out a couple of times late in the game. Like I love the fact that he's trying to get to the foul line at times, but when you have a clear shot at the rim. Just finish. Don't try. He had multiple times where he was leaning away from the basket to try to draw a foul, and it ends up being a worse a worse shot that he actually puts up. Like that's the frustrating part. And look, I, I mean, look, I'm I'm not a guy that's going to criticize. Should that probably should be criticizing someone for you know not being able to make a tough shot like that. But it just feels like you're making it more difficult on yourself in those scenarios. The, the, the 12 threes from the outside, yeah, probably a few too many. I mean, there were some, especially in the second half, I really don't complain when he takes those shots because we've seen, I mean, he hits some tough shots in the second half from the outside. Most of the time, I mean, there's enough room. I'm, I'm giving him the green light. Um, but it's some of those ones in the first half. And, and I said this earlier. I, I think the last few games... We have started to see it, really even going back to that Wake Forest win, where for some reason the mindset for Carolina to start games is let's try to see if we can get ourselves in rhythm from beyond the arc. We're not going to try to get downhill. We're not going to try to put the ball in the post. We're going to see if we can get ourselves hot from the outside and then just go to the other stuff because we know it's going to work whenever we go to it. Where in reality... We've seen it throughout the year. When Carolina's at their best, it's when their guards are getting downhill, it's when they're feeding the post, and it's when they're getting second-chance opportunities. That that needs to be the mindset of this team. And that, to me, like Cormac, that's that's the mindset you got to take, man. Like, there's going to be chances for you to hit shots from the outside. But especially late in that game, when you realize that, hey, man, this just is not my night from beyond the arc. Maybe I should put the ball on the floor and try to drive the lane. Because when he does that, it's not like he's a guy that's loose with the basketball. It's not like he's a guy that doesn't grow up strong. You mentioned it. He draw he draws fouls. There was a portion of the season where he was the guy that was getting to the line the most often of any of Carolina's players. And that's disappeared. He he doesn't want to drive the ball at all. He's become a catch and shoot three three point guy who literally can't hit the broadside of a barn at times. So it's like dude at some point you just got to realize like you have enough athleticism drive the lane because if you do you're going to have success. I I just last night was so frustrating on that end of the floor, especially in that first half because it felt like there were opportunities for Carolina, and they were just settling way too much. And then at the end of the game, the problem became, I mean, you're talking about a team that had three turnovers. I don't know, was it three heading into the under four time, timeout? They turned it over three times at the end of the game. They had six all night, but three of them come in the final four minutes of the game? Like, it's just, and, and that was the one I thought, we had seen this team turn a corner with the way they finished games. 
Because you had the games against UConn and Kentucky where they struggled to close. And look, those are really good basketball teams. Clemson's a tournament team. In my mind, no doubt, they proved that last night. They're not on the same level as those teams. And now you're you're starting to see this become a problem, that you're not closing games strong. That's, I mean, that's concerning to me. I'm not going to lie to you. On the offensive end, that is that is a little bit concerning. Well, I mean, and you got to look at just the fact that, you know, because Carolina went through that stretch where they're beating everybody by double digits, like when you look at their quote-unquote close games, which are, quali- you know, if you want to qualify to six points or fewer, Carolina's own four. And and they're they're that's that's something that you got to keep in the back of your mind. Yep, is you're you haven't you haven't yet proven to to beat a team in a close game. And but like in love, that's inflated because these games can be close, and then you're the game gets extended and you're going to the foul line, and that's why the game ends up being double digits. But if you look at it from that standpoint, you know that's just a fe- that, that's a stat that's real. And when you're the fifth oldest team in the country, you you shouldn't be committing three turnovers in the in the in the final four minutes. By the way, uh, this was uh, tweeted out earlier today. Greg Barnes pointed this out. According to Bart Torvik, since the start of January, Carolina ranks 253rd nationally in effective field goal percentage. Um, two about two hundred fifty eighth in two point field goal percentage at forty eight point one, and two hundred second in three point field goal percentage at three. Uh, we're at thirty three point six. Not great numbers at all. I think it's been masked because this team has done a great job defensively. But if you go back to the start of full conference play. This offense has not really been great outside of some hit and miss moments at home. Well, they've 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 been good at home. They've been great at home up until last night. Like you were averaging over ninety points per game. Your lowest home point total on the year was seventy seven points. Seventy six should be enough to get the job done. Third straight game you've given up seventy or more. Um, and, and like the Duke game, I'm not gonna really look at that because like. Carolina Duke, they typically play high scoring games. Like last year when both games were played in the sixties and the fifties, like those were outliers. Like the, like those are games that are typically played in the upper eighties. Maybe you get maybe you get into the nineties. The Georgia Tech game, we said, hey, look, last five points were a leaning three and a, a layup with his opposite hand over the outstretched arm of of, of, of Armando Baycott. You 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 actually you'll lose that way and be like, hey, they made two plays last night. Defense wasn't there, and that's the first time we can say that about it at home since really the first half of the Florida State game back in December. Um, and again, I think it's just something that we thought was 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 done and over with. Another big thing that, and maybe the most important thing we learned last night is we we know the value and the importance that Seth Trimble has to this basketball oh, team. Oh, definitely. Um, you know, he was out with an upper body injury. Um, we don't quite know exactly what that injury was or is and how long the timetable for him to be out is. Um, and I and I don't want to mean this in any disrespect to to Seth. Carolina should still be able to win at home without 
without their with, with without the reserve guard. But you had no one to put on Joseph Girard the third, and uh, for a team that was lacking energy, that's his mo. That's his that's his game. Is when he gets the ball, he just runs down the other end and lays it up, gets fouled, like makes something happen. And Carolina didn't have that. It forced Hubert Davis to play some different rotations. You got to tip your hat to Paxson Wojcik, who maybe played his best game as a Tar Heel, 7.6 rebounds in 22 minutes, made his first three since the win at Clemson back in January. But Jalen Withers, uh, basically a no-show, played five minutes, grabbed a rebound. It's the only thing he did to contribute to the game last night. You know, you 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 would think that that the culture is at a point to where, you know, that next man up mentality is real and it and it exists. And you, maybe you say that with Wojcik's performance, but like you like Jalen Withers has to give you more. Jalen Washington, who was the only other guy outside of Wojcik to play double digit minutes, has to give you more than two points and four rebounds. Um and, and so hopefully this 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 injury isn't a long term thing. Um, as I said, we don't know how long he's going to be out. I mean, I'd imagine Hubert Davis will offer some sort of update when he meets with the media before the Miami game. But there's there's no denying that Carolina is lesser with Seth Trimble not being available to play for them, and we learned that the hard way last night. Yeah, I mean, it, it, and the thing is, is it affects a lot of different things. I talked about it when we were recapping the Duke game, or yeah, I think I said it on here, definitely said it on the main airwaves over at WFNZ. I, like, he controls the pace so well for Carolina as well. When they get the ball in his hands, he's thinking one thing, get up the floor, get to the rim, and finish, because that's where his strength is. And, you know, the other thing is, is on the offensive end, even just having him as a guy to throw in there, when you got Cormac Ryan struggling that bad offensively, I mean, look, Seth Trimble hasn't been the most efficient shooter either, but at least it's a different body that's in there that who knows? Maybe this is one of those nights where all of a sudden he just gets hot. The defensive end of the floor, you see how valuable he really is because, yes, that's the first thing I thought after the game was Joe Girard. All Joe Girard did all night was hit big shots. Like, he wasn't their most dominant player. That was Hall. You, uh, you had the impact from Shefflin. He was probably the third player on the floor that people recognized the most last night. But whenever they needed a big shot, he found a way to knock down shots from the outside. Now, I didn't think Carolina guarded him well at all. Like, there were some times where he did a good job. They, they did a good job of screening, freeing him up. But for the most part, it was just that Carolina just, I mean, Cormac was on him at one point. I had had a play where I have no idea where he was actually going and it allowed him to free himself up for a deep three. Um, and, and, I mean, he, you know, Elliot Cadeau just, uh, he wasn't ready to handle that either. So, I mean, that's, that's one where having a guy that you know is a lockdown defender that just would have potentially been able to throw him at a rhythm, and we know from watching Joe Girard for so many years in the ACC, he is a rhythm guy. If you can get him off of his game, he is a guy that struggles to get it going again. So, I, I mean, yeah, hopefully this is not long-term for Trimble because you saw that the depth really isn't as great when you take one of those guys out of the rotation. Like, we can, we can admit this now. 
Seth Trimble's your most important rotation player. Like, if there was any question about that, which there shouldn't have been, he proved last night that he is the most important piece of your bench right now. And, I mean, yeah, Paxson Wojcik played hard. You're hoping that Jalen Withers can give you more than five minutes. Not sure what was going on with him. But if Carolina is going to be a team that wins the ACC regular season even, before we talk about the other goals, they better hope this is not a long-term injury because he is incredibly important. And and I'm going to tell you, I mean, I really hope they have him on Saturday because if not, that's going to be another really tough one. A team that's desperate, a team that has really good guard play, that's that's a that's a dangerous matchup for Carolina if they don't have Seth Trimble. Yeah, it is. And um, look, we we know it every year. The Duke game kicks off the gauntlet, and Carolina's in the midst of their gauntlet, and now they've got to respond after a loss that we didn't see coming. Which now begs the question as we get to our our main discussion topic before we get to our closing note here. Look, you know. The, the the players and the coaches basically said without saying, we saw this loss coming, and yet there was nothing done to prevent the loss from happening. Um, and look, maybe in the long run they're better for it. Who knows? We'll, 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 we'll ultimately have to wait and see. But I do think that, at least for me, they lost some trust. Um, they had built a lot of trust up to where – like I knew every time I turned on the TV or was lucky enough to be in the gym that I knew I was going to watch a team play with effort, play with energy, um, and just just care for 40 minutes. And that didn't happen last night. And whether you want to call that an overreaction, go right ahead. Um, y'all been wanting me to come on here and overreact all season long anyway. Mm. So I'm just doing what you want me to do. But for for me, they they lost some trust, and so yeah, when they when they go to Miami this weekend, I might not be as confident they can go on the road and win. When they go to Syracuse, I don't know if I'll be as confident they can go on. They can go on the road and win. And what I'm saying, basically, short story short, is for the first time since long the, story short, you mean? No, short story short. Oh, okay, all right. Just is sure. uh, for the first time all ACC season long. I'm not confident they can win a they can win a regular season championship because I don't know I don't know how they're going to respond to this and the only way is to see it happen and and have it you know see it play out but I really thought the Georgia Tech game was the reset and then you go do what you did against Duke and you use that as a launching point for uh, another run down the stretch but now you've had a second setback in three games, and there's no reason to believe there won't be a third on Saturday. Well, I don't know. I I don't know if I would say if I would go that far. Like I'm not, like I'm not chalking that up as a loss. Like I'm not saying right now. Okay, well, there's no way they're winning that game. I don't think that's that's the case because I do think that there is a chance that this team can respond. We think that this team is different. We've thought that for the majority of the season. You can't completely bail on that. Now, But again, I'm with you that there's reasons to be concerned. I expressed the areas that I have concerns in earlier. Um, but I mean, yeah, in terms of trust, oh yeah, this is, this is definitely a blow to that. Because it shows you that 
This is a team that's not taking every game as seriously as we thought that they were. Now, you can change that again. You can come out in these next two games and play with your hair on fire. And all of a sudden, we're back to saying, okay, well, they had a momentary. They they were focused on that Duke game, both in the Georgia Tech game and Clemson game. Not the most ideal scenario, but at the end of the day, you know, at the end of the regular season, they got they got it together and did what they had to do. The problem with the regular season right now, the regular season championship, is Virginia is as hot as just about any team in major conference basketball. They're a team that doesn't lose at home. They've they've never lost at home. Even even these last couple of years when they haven't been playing their best basketball, they have not lost at home. And Carolina hasn't won there in over a decade. So now you're asking Carolina to have to go up there and beat them in their gym. I mean, look, I I don't know what Virginia's schedule looks like. I find it hard-pressed to think in this ACC they're going to lose more than one or two games. Like, the way they're playing defensively right now, they're playing at an elite level. So the margin for error for Carolina got incredibly, incredibly thin last night. And it just sucks because we said it when we were talking about the Duke game. You had positioned yourself where you would have a two-game lead in the conference. And ultimately, did I think that would end up holding up in the end? No, probably not. There would be a team that would get closer to you at some point. But for you to give it away to Clemson, a team that had won one time in your building, all time, I mean that's that's a team and and like I said the reason that you do you you do have to be a little bit hesitant to just say they're going to automatically bounce back is because what did they play last night a desperate team that needed a win what are they going to play the majority of the way down the stretch I mean the, the next two games the two games that you listed off both of those teams probably still feel in their minds that they have a chance to make the tournament if Miami beats Carolina, they could think that could be the turning point. If Syracuse beats Carolina, that could be the point where they start making a run. It's it's really, honestly, it's the next three games. Because then you got Virginia Tech at home. And by the way, we thought at home, okay, you don't necessarily have to worry about that. Well, Clemson just walked in there and beat you. So all those teams, you have Miami again. NC State, like all of these teams fit into the exact same category that we just talked about with Clemson. Teams that are desperate for an important win and Carolina is their opportunity to get it. So, I mean, you need to see this team bounce back. And like I said, they have the chance to prove it very quickly. You have three straight games against teams that are going to be desperate. If you find a way to beat these teams... Even if you find a way to be the first two, we're probably feeling confident again. But after last night, I can't be pounding my chest about this team rolling it out every single night and finding a way to win. That's a look at the look the at the look back at the loss over Clemson. But before we let you go, um, we we could not get on here and not and not talk about. And just honor the life, the legacy 
of Coach Dean Smith, who now um, today makes it nine years. I can't believe that, by the way. Since he uh, he he passed away, um, I still remember where I was when I got delivered the news. It was a Sunday morning. I was getting ready to go to church um, when when my mom just popped in and, and told me to, to turn the TV to Sports Center, and um, you know there there they were talking about talking about the uh, the you know his passing and took the time to you know look back and 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 reflect on on his life his legacy as a basketball coach and more importantly as a man um and you know i, I think the, the beautiful thing about coach smith is his impact um is still being felt on carolina basketball on and off the court we use his thoughts of the day you know routinely one that we we use quite a bit is if you make every game life or death you're going to be dead a lot. Perfect and, quote. And so um for today. You know, that's why today isn't isn't life or death and the other one is what do you do with the mistake? You recognize it, you address it, um and you move on from it. And Carolina certainly made plenty of mistakes last night that have been addressed, they recognized. Now you learn from it and you grow from it and hopefully be better for it. So, um can't believe it's can't believe it's been 9 years. Um you know, we we miss them every day. Something we try to do, and I try to do my best as the host of this podcast, is to to make, to make it known that his, that his legacy is still being carried on, his impact is still being carried on. Yes, in the game of basketball, but more importantly, in the game of life. Well, with that, guys, that's going to wrap up this edition of the podcast. Before we let you go, we do encourage you to visit the website, HeelToughBlog.com, um, where full coverage of the loss to Clemson can be found for you. Um, on there. We'll be back later in the week getting you ready for the road game at Miami um, as I continue to take you through the remainder of the basketball season. As for the podcast, guys, you know where to find us, every major podcasting platform. Simply search the Four Corners Podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We inter- we encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, with that, that is going to wrap up this edition of the show. Do want to thank Anthony for hosting with me. We want to thank you guys for listening. And as always, go Tar Heels. Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that.